the word memorial has the word memory, so a lot of times, you know, there are things that we just remember as individuals. There are things that bring with them, of course, uh, a whole range of emotions, you know, from joy to sorrow to despair. Uh, you can go through a whole litany of your dates. I have mine. Uh, July 1st, 1987, I, I married this beautiful young lady in the front. And and it didn't come with instructions. So all I can tell you is I don't I didn't know how we were going to do it. All I know is that July 1st of this year we celebrate 28 years together. And, and I'm grateful for that. Not soon after that, uh, another date, 12-22-88, uh, my son was born, and boy, did he not come with instructions either. So, uh, grateful for that. I'm grateful for the journey he's on. Um, these are dates that we continue to, to, to memorialize in our own way. And I think you have your dates too. Um, 4 11 of 1990, I came to the front of a church and I said yes to Jesus Christ. Um, day I'll never forget. Uh, soon after that, 11-28-92, my daughter was born. Um, and uh, she didn't come with instructions either. Um, and, and we're still wrestling with that. But uh, for the glory of God, we continue to uh, ask the Lord to guide us in all that we do um, in our lives. And I think it's important for us to do that. And then there's a date, uh, April 16th. 2005. I was in Washington, D.C. My daughter had won a uh, honors program kind of thing. She was about 12 going on 13. And, you know, I drove her to Washington. Um, and uh, she was excited, more excited than I was, to spend, you know, a few days away with some friends experiencing Washington and some honors program. Um, I was not as excited as she was. Um, so I dropped her off and, uh, you know, like... A father, I get a sense of, you know, I want to stay. My wife calls it something else. Um, it's overprotectiveness, I guess. And I decided the same place that she was going to stay, I was going to check in and stay myself just to be a chaperone, uh, a shadow uh, far away. I was popping out of bushes, just keeping an eye <laughs> on her. But while there, I received a call. Um, we received a call, and you know these calls, if you've experienced them, there's a lot of crying. You can't hear anything being said. Uh, all you can hear is a lot of crying. And it was on that day that I received the news that my brother um, was killed in the war in Iraq. So that trip to Washington took a whole different bent for us and for my family. So freedom is not free. Uh, it costs someone their lives. Um, his memory is still really rich in our lives. If you visit my mother, there is this monument in the living room uh, set up to him. Seriously, I, I, my wife can tell you. I mean, two by three posters staring at your face the minute you walk in, you know, um, and that's her way of grieving. Uh, I dare not play with that altar. Um, but I'm, this day takes a new meaning to me, and that's why. Um, I'm able to come before you and share from a place of not having not experienced it. 
So again, and, and again, I, I don't want you to sit here and say, whoa, to pass a gust. Out of that, uh, our men's meeting has been birthed. Warrior Soldiers Men was birthed out of that uh, pain. Uh, God took it. And now many men are benefiting from uh, that ministry. Amen? So, so I wanted to be able to say that because even in the Bible, there are tons of memorials. And they bring certain emotions along with them. And if anything I want you to hear today is that God is saying, remember me. Remember me, what I have done, will do, and will continue to do for you. Uh, remember me, because often we forget. We uh, get into a place, even like today, right? Memorial Day, you, 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 again, you're thinking about picnics and barbecues and the school years. You start thinking about a bunch of other things, even a day off tomorrow. Praise God for that, right? But we lose sight of the essence of what the day actually means. And biblically, when you look at it, throughout the history, from Genesis to Revelation, there are memorials. There have been places where God has showed up for individuals like he has showed up for you. There are moments, there are pivotal moments where God has just redirected you and sent you on a different path or put somebody in your place or establish a place where you can walk in and be loved and cared for. You know, and it's important for us to remember him. Remember me, God says, for what I have done for you, what I am doing for you, and what I will do for you. So having said that, we have a custom here to stand as we read God's word. I want to read a particular portion of scripture that kind of speaks into this whole idea of biblical memorials and a reminder of the greatest memorial that we have had biblically. Amen? It'll be on the screen. Um, hopefully it'll come up on the screen and we'll be able to read it together. I want us to read it together out loud. It's a short read. But read it out loud in a way that those outside would be drawn to this place. Amen? At the count of three, we can read together. One, two, three. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. There is something going on here that we have to understand the backdrop of it so that we're clear about it. They were in Egypt for 430 years. They were held in captivity and mistreated. And in the midst of being mistreated, something began to happen to those who were surviving this whole experience. Some were able to maintain their faith. Some were unable to maintain their faith. And you were unable to begin to tell the difference between those who were followers and those who were not. Obviously, there is 
no difference today. And it's important for us to realize that these words are echoed and they are repeated in the New Testament. There is this Old Testament and New Testament fusing that takes place and it's these words that are repeated over and over and they are repeated by Jesus as well. And it drew me to a place to begin to understand why will God keep saying this over and over about these particular men. And he said this to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Jesus then further on in Matthew says the same thing. Every time he mentions, he doesn't mention anybody else, but he mentions Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in that order. What you have to understand that, that God's purpose for us today was birthed out of the father, the son, and the grandson. He took Abraham out of idolatry. He was an idol worshiper. He was a person who was sacrificing to idols. Very well off, very successful. God already had begun to grace him, but he called to Abraham and says, I want you to get out of that situation, and I want you now to follow me. Now, if you know the story a little bit, Abram was a little bit advanced. In fact, his name was Abram. doesn't get changed to Abraham until God says, I'm going to change who you've been. Come on now. I'm going to give you a new name. And I want you to remember that. I remember that moment where it happened for you. I want you to remember that moment with great joy where you began to be transformed and changed and where your life began to take a shift in a different direction. It's not where you want it to be, but it's better than it's ever been. So Abram began to, you know, struggle, obviously, with the call upon his life, but it was very powerful for him to hear God speak to him in the midst of all that idolatry, in the midst of all that mess, in the midst of all that struggle, God spoke to him. Come on now. That foxhole prayer. That moment where maybe he was sitting around and having been, you know, blessed with abundance, he was sitting around and wondering, like, is there something else? Is there something more? Because I don't know, after you count all your money and you, you know, check out everything you have and, you know, you're kind of sitting around. I, I think there was a feeling with Abram about, man, I don't have anybody to leave it to. Abram was with age. His wife was with age. She was advanced in age. I'm talking about past menopause. <laughs> Praise God for that. Past that. And... He was wondering, like, who do I leave this to? Who, who do I leave this inheritance to? But God had a plan to take this idolater and make a nation out of him. In fact, his promise to him is, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And then Isaac is born. In the process, if you don't know the story, please read it, that narrative in Genesis. If you read it, you must read it in its entirety. You just can't read about Abraham because Abraham means nothing without Isaac. Isaac means nothing without Jacob. You have to meet it in, in that way. These men are significant. There is a reason why they've been linked together historically. It is a memorial for us to remember what God had planned. Took somebody who was nobody, an idolater, a loser, a bum, and said, I'm going to do something great with you.
On top of that, your concern is my concern. You don't have an heir, and my plan doesn't end with you. It doesn't start here and end with you. It goes on and on and on. So he takes him, and he gives him this son, Isaac. You know, he has two sons. One is Ishmael, and one is Isaac. The story unfolds. It's very complicated and complex, and I don't have the time to tell you. All I know is that when we rush into things, we get something we didn't ask for. And Ishmael was that. <laughs> Ishmael was birthed of not of his wife, but of his wife's handmaiden. That his wife insisted lay with her so that we can have a child. So that we can have a child? So on top of that, then Isaac is birthed because God comes and says, Sarah, you're going to have a child. And of course, Sarah doesn't believe God. Come on now. You know, Sarah doesn't believe God. I'm way advanced. She cracks up. She laughs. He says, who this guy telling me I'm going to be a birth? My womb is already, forget about it. There's nothing going on in there. I don't even want to hang out with my husband anymore. What are you talking about? But God takes something that is just all messed up, and he renews it, and he restores it. And she didn't know, even as she was laughing and giggling about God, God was preparing her womb to give birth. And in the process, God says, you're going to have one. And I, I know you laughed in the nerve. You know, you're going to tell me you didn't laugh. I know you laughed because I, you know, I know everything. And I know you're laughing. But I'm going to come back a year from now, and you're going to have this child. And Isaac was the son of promise. What I love about this story is that you're going to see these three men in their story. You're going to see these things present in their lives. The first thing you're going to see is God's power show up on their behalf. You talk about power, well advanced in Asia. That is the power of God to take something that is dead and bring it to life. Come on now. Because if you were without Christ, you were dead. If you're in this room and you're without Christ, you are dead to the things of God. Therefore, you are very insensitive to the life that's been given to you. So you were treated as such. You were trampled upon the very gift that's been given to you because you don't understand the one who gave it to you. And the one who gave it to you expects you to do something greater than what you're doing with it right now. So it's important for us to realize, so now you see these three men, but you see God's power, you see God's provision, you see God's promise, you see his protection upon their lives. God tells Abraham, I want you now to sacrifice your son. Think about that for a moment. God started this story over here. I'm going to make you a father of many nations. I waited for this son, and now you're going to tell me, no. This is not the way it's going to work out. God was doing something very powerful there that we all have to understand. At that moment, at that moment, God was about to do one of his power moves. If you believe God in the moment where it seems the most bleakest, if you trust in God in the moment where you seem like, man, I, 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 like I've run out of tricks. I don't know what else to do, God. I, I don't know. I, I, just want, I don't know what else to do. This doesn't look good. This is not going to end good. It doesn't feel good. God is about to make a power move in the midst of Abraham's feelings. And situation. He takes his son, lays him on this altar, and is about to do something with him. And then God says, Stop, because now I know you would not withhold anything from me. Oftentimes, God asks us to do that to bring to him 
that thing we love the most. And we want to hold on to it. Just a little longer, God. He'll change. Just a little longer, she'll change. Just a little longer, God. It'll get better. And God is saying, all I want you to do is let go and let me. There's a power move that happens, and then God's provision comes into play. There was a sacrifice that had to be made, and God in the thicket provides him a sacrifice. He looks to the left, and he hears something making a sound. He says, oh, okay, great. This is what we're going to do now. And that's a memorial. I don't know about you, but that is a pivotal moment for him to realize that at that point, there was a shift that happened. And in your life, listen to me, there is a date. There are dates. There are moments where God is saying, even right now, where things look bleak, where things look difficult, where you don't know where it's going to come from, how it's going to end, God is saying, remember me. Remember what I did for you, what I'm doing for you, and what I will do for you. Do you believe that God will start something in your life and then leave you to figure it out for yourself? That would be a cruel God, wouldn't it? That would be the kind of God we grew up with, right? At least believing that God would punish us, that everything we did Everything we got involved with was a punishment from God. You did not read the small print. It was already built into the fact that if you disobey God, he'll leave you to your own stuff. You know, because then when you disobey God, your response is, God, why are you doing this to me? So you didn't read the, the, the small print where it says, if you do it this way, you'll be blessed. But if you do it this way, you'll be cursed. And some of us try to, you know, you know we, we have to put on our glasses like I have to do sometimes to read. You have to be able to look deeper and further to the promises of God. Some of them are conditional, some of them are unconditional. You have to do something to receive that. The Bible says in order for you to receive eternal life, what do we have to do? We have to believe and receive. Right? That's what we got to do. You believe, you receive. It says, wait a minute. I don't got to get good before I get God. Nope. You know, I don't got to get strong before I get God. No, I don't got to put this down before I get. Nope. And somebody's been lying to you. You don't have to. Do I have to dress up to come to church? You better put some clothes on, but you ain't got to dress up. It ain't that kind of church. <laughs> you know what I mean? You got to put some clothes on at least. Right? But you, you ain't got to get dressed up. Just show up. To show up and let God does what he's going to do. Why? So that you can have a moment in your life where God begins to shift things in your life. So that you can remember him in the midst of whatever it is you're going through, whatever it is you will go through. I guarantee you will go through something. And that's why God says, remember what I did for you. He tells them, remember what I did for you in Egypt because they hit a wall. There was a moment there where they now began to struggle in their movement. I'm talking about the Israelites. I'm talking about how God took them out of captivity. 430 years, they suffered at the hands of a taskmaster that was evil. Evil. Egypt is not a good place, although today is a beautiful place. I'm sure it was beautiful then. But at that moment, when you're in it, it doesn't look that beautiful. 
because you're not sightseeing. <laughs> At that time, they weren't going to the Nile River except to, you know, probably uh, draw something out of it so they can carry it back so that they can do what they have to do. Now it's a beautiful place, but Egypt... At that time, for the Israelites, was a place of captivity. Put on your spiritual caps because you've had your Egypt. You still may have your Egypt. A place of bondage, a place of captivity, a place in which you still don't know what to do, how to go about it. A place where you have forgotten your God. And he says, remember me in the midst of all that. And he begins to move them out of it. And he says, I'm going to take you out. And let me tell you something. Talk about provision. Talk about power. Talk about protection. When he takes them out of there, they leave with stuff that wasn't even theirs. <laughs> they leave with stuff that wasn't even theirs. You talk about God's provision. You know, it didn't belong to them. God said, take it. It's mine. And that's the beauty of it, man. Our Heavenly Father has resources that you haven't even tapped into. It's like waiting for you. And all you got to do is ask for it. You know, all you got to do is ask for it. You have an account with God. You have an inheritance in Christ. And all you got to do is begin to ask for it. And you start thinking, wow, man, that million dollars belongs to me. We are rich. We are rich in love, mercy, and compassion like no other. People get troubled when someone gets up there and says, God bless America. People get really upset about that because they start to thinking maybe, you know, nobody else is blessed. It's not that no one else is blessed. God reminds us of the blessing upon this nation constantly. So he takes Abraham, takes him into the situation. They hit the wall. What was the wall? If you don't remember, they started to murmur. They started to complain. They started to struggle in the wilderness because sometimes when God takes you out of what he took you out of and now you begin to get sober and clean and happy, right? We get really good with some things. Now all of a sudden, some things begin to reveal themselves about you. Okay? The drugs kind of mask it. The alcohol trying to mask it, right? The dress, the outfit, the makeup kind of mask it. But every now and then, the real you pops out. Come on now. Some of you are really quiet in here, right? right? But, but, but the reality is the real you pops out. So, so, so what God begins to do here, he begins to take them out of a bad situation. I got a better word for it, but it's a bad situation. Okay? Begins to take them to a place that he's promised to them. And along the way, what do they do? Because things don't happen as quickly as they wanted to. What do they start to do? Come on, somebody said, I need to hear from a complainer in the room. They begin to murmur and complain and whine, right? I mean, we know people like that, don't we? We did toxic relationships, <laughs> You could take them for, to a five-star restaurant and they'll complain about it, right? So, so they complain, they murmured. And this is the situation where God says, I want you to remind them that I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And in the process of what I'm about to do, I need you to remind them what I did for Abraham. 
I took him out of an idolatrous situation. I took him out of a bad situation. I gave him a son when he should not have a son. And then his son had a son. And in his son Jacob, we get the nation birthed. He takes an individual. Now, what I love about this between Jacob, the nation, and Abraham, the individual, Isaac does absolutely nothing. Why? Because his father worked for it. And that's sad sometimes when you don't work for what you get. You don't appreciate it. He inherited everything his father gave him. Now, he had his own issues. He had to, you know, go through what he had to go through, and God showed up for him. But he inherited. He didn't have to work for it. Jacob now was born, and Jacob's got to deal with a lot of stuff, including the conflict of his sons. Because his sons eventually turn on one of the youngest. If you don't know the story, you got to read it. The Genesis narrative is, is a very powerful story. Joseph is one of Jacob's sons. And among his sons, it's created this animosity and this jealousy among themselves, and they want to do away with the younger son, who, by the way, shared a dream that God had given him. Now, you know, you got to be careful who you share your dreams with, Right? Because we got some haters out there. We got dream killers, right? Right? No, no, I mean, we, we, we do. We do. You know, we got, we got people who will say, you're never going to do that. And let me tell you something. It's God is for you who can be against you. If God gives you a vision, he will give you the provision. So you have to make sure that you understand that if it's you and God, and God, you know, sometimes we get really excited, and we run and say, Mommy, Mommy, I want to tell you what I'm going to do. We say, ah, you're going to do that, you're going to do that. I say, yeah, I'm really going to do it, Mommy. Yeah, 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 go to bed. You know, that kind of stuff. With Joseph, it went further. He told him his dream that God has given him, this vision that God has given him what? To save his people, to continue what God started in Abram. God wasn't finished because it culminates with what? The cross. That's the greatest memorial you and I will ever have. Freedom isn't free. Someone had to die. Someone had to pay the ultimate price so that we can enjoy the freedoms that we have today. His name is Jesus. Someone had to come. Someone had to show up. You talk about a power move. You talk about God's provision. You talk about the, God, the protection that we have today. How many of us have been in situations where we don't know how we survived? Think about it. I can raise my hand and my feet, you know, and do a dance. There have been situations that I've gotten into, I've gotten into. Not me, because they told me not to and I still did. Come on now. Some of us are still stiff-necked in this room. Okay? And that's what they call in the Bible. That's, I'm not getting on your case. That's what they call them, stiff-neck. All right? All right? It's like you don't want to, you know, people who don't want to bow down, people who don't want to surrender, people who don't want to yield, people who want to, you know, they'll hold on, you know, to the very dear life, not realizing that their lives depend on them letting go. Man, if anything you remember today, remember, remember God. Remember the story because, listen, the God in Genesis is the God here today. Is the God ever present and accessible to you and me? And I've got some great dates, man. They're, they're just memories that God reminds me. And, and in the Bible, it's funny because in the Bible, wherever they, you know, met God, they would put a stone, you know, or build a, 
alder of unhewn stone. That means it wasn't cut. It wasn't neatly, you know, cut up and put. You know, they stacked it and they, you know, they can leave and then come back later and it would still be there. And you would bring your children and says, this is where God met me. This is where God did what he did for me. And it's the very reason that you're here today because of what God did here for me. Come, let me show you where me and your mom first started in that little furnished room where we had to share a bathroom with someone. Share a bathroom? Nasty, Dad. How can you do that? That's how we started. He says, Dad, but you know, you, you work here now. He says, yeah, but let me take you back where I shined shoes and was a bike messenger and flipped burgers. Flip burgers. I don't want to work in Burger King. You got to do what you have to do until you can do what you love to do. And a lot of us want to start at the top. A lot of us want to walk in and be CEOs. Walk in and say, I want that job, the one across the desk, the one you have. I say, wait a minute. <laughs> right? Take your application and throw it in the garbage and you wonder why they did not call you. We have to start somewhere. Guys, and this narrative starts somewhere. And it's meant as a memorial for us to remind us of these things. As you go through this narrative of these three men, it's very significant because throughout the Bible, listen to me, throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament, they're mentioned in this way. Let everybody know, the Lord, your God, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And as I studied that deep, I was like, man, this is significant here. This is not something that we just skirt over. What did he do for Abraham? Because what he did for Abraham, he can do for me. And what did he do with Isaac? Whatever he did with him, he can do with me. What did he do with Jacob? Whatever he did with Jacob, he can do with me. But, but I got to be willing to be still and trust that he is God. And, and a lot of us get caught up, you know, again, you know, tomorrow you're going to have a day off. And I'm sure you probably have a barbecue you're going to go to, a picnic you're going to go to. You know, maybe you'll sleep late. Praise God. You know, wh whatever it is you're going to do. Some of you uh, uh, are shoppers, so you're probably going to be at 6 a.m. in Macy's. I don't know. God bless your souls if that's what you're going to do. You know, because some of us are like that, right? With door buses. Is that what they call? Door buses? No, I'm, I'm just asking. I'm not cracking a joke. That's, I don't know what they're called. I'm just wondering. There's too many eggs. But, you know, whatever it is you're going to do, remember me, God says. When you're eating that hot dog and that hamburger and you have your taste buds intact. Some of you, that went over your head. You'll get it later. <laughs> See, in our addiction and in our loss, we lose all kinds of things, don't we? Food is not important to us when we're out there. The way we look is not important when we're out there. The things we say and the people we're in, it doesn't matter. All we want to do is get that one. And God is saying, man, even when you're sitting down and there's a cool breeze, just know that I sent that breeze to cool you. If the sun shines tomorrow, man, get up and thank God that the sun is shining. Remember me, that's what he says. I've done something for you, by the way. And he still is doing something for you. He's still doing something. If, if you're really 
on the potter's wheel, God is doing something for you. Right? I mean, he's working things out. And if, I mean, really, if you're really in that process, there is some stuff that he's dredging up. There is some stuff that he's revealing about you and about this relationship. And for you to sit here and say, man, I got it going on. I've arrived. You're not in the right church. I'm going to give you a pass and send you somewhere else. Because we're a mess in this place. But we do know something. The one that fixes this mess, his name is Jesus. When we yield and surrender to his leading, there is a ride we go on that's not like any other ride. And it'll have his bumps. It'll have his, you know, those moments where it's moved, and they don't have those moments where it just rides you up, and you get a chance to look down, and those are the moments where you decide, okay, I got to strap on, because this is not going to feel good. How many people love roller coasters in this room? I'll be praying for you. I really don't like them. Okay? I really don't like them. I don't like the idea of paying someone to wreck me. Okay? I just don't like doing that. What scares me about that is the sickness behind that addiction. You pay, you get on, you scream, yell, get off, and then you get back on. Now, I'm thinking there's something wrong with you. You know? I sat one day at the bench in a roller coaster and I watched these kids come off and one of them literally puked and said, hey, wait for me, I'm coming. <laughs> I'm like, I go, okay, I'll be, I'm coming. And I'm like, okay. I sit there with my good book and I let them go on, amen? So what I want to remind you is just this. These three men are significant in the Bible because of what God did for them through them. And that's important because he took them from where they were, did something in them, and then did something for them. And by the way, we're still benefiting from it today. We are all descendants of Abraham. So rather than have a religious war with anybody, can we remind them of that? Can we remind people that we're all birthed out of this particular individual that God saw fit to call him out of his mess to do something amazing in him and then along the way bring it to where we are today. That's my Memorial Day. My Memorial Day is a bunch of dates especially that day when I said yes to Jesus. April 11th 1990. I will never forget that day. Now, by the way, nothing fantastic happened. Like nothing out of the ordinary. I didn't grow a third eye. I just knew that from that moment on, I was different. Like, I, I didn't know what to tell you. Like I looked at my hands, there were still two of them. You know, still two. You know, like, I didn't, I can't say that it was this 
metamorphosis that took place where I changed from this larva cocoon, you know, situation into a butterfly. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm simply saying that inside of me, something different happened. And because that happened, it became a memorial for me. So I want to give you some scriptures about God's power, his provision, his protection, his, you know, um, promises. So I want to give you some scriptures, and I want you to just to hold on to these scriptures as I go through them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, it talks about God's power. It says this, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead. And he will raise us also. That's his power. If you're not sure about that, there is a story in the Bible in which he raises Lazarus from the dead. And there are other moments, other instances in the Old Testament in which he uses a man of God to raise someone from the dead. Listen, only God can raise someone from the dead. Only God can do that. Modern medicine has attempted to do it. People have, you know, uh, uh, kind of like flatlined and, and they shock you and, and they, you know, bring you back and praise God for that. We, everybody knows that there's this rhythm in the heart that's electrical. If you don't understand that, anatomically you have to because that's what they use. They shock you back. But I'm talking about being dead in the things of God and him bringing life to you. That which happens within you, not necessarily out here. You know, I, I still look a particular way, but inside me, there's something that's different. There was a different heart. There was a different mindset. There was a different way that I look at things and hear things and speak today. I grew up in a profanity-laced environment. We try to up one another with our profanity. When I came to Christ and read his word, God began to change that to the point where I get quite offended and annoyed by someone who claims to have an education that uses profanity to improve on it. So God's power raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. God's provision, Philippians 4.19, it says this, And my God will meet all your needs according to what? His riches of his glory in who? Christ Jesus. But no other reason except that because of Jesus Christ, you have an inheritance. So therefore, he's saying, whatever you need, I got. Come on now. Whatever you need, I got. Now, here's the problem that we confuse. What you need from what you want. You don't know that because the line's been blurred so bad that you can't make the difference up. You need air. You need water. You want. I'll leave that alone. Psalm 81.10 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Watch this. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. Woo! I think about that. I think about being thirsty and when God says, and if you come to me and drink of this water, you'll never be thirsty again. There is a thirst in the soul that cannot be satisfied with polar spring. I'm not even sure if that's from a spring. <laughs> really, I'm not. 
It says bottled somewhere in Boston. Hey, Rob. Being a Yankee fan, I don't know if anything good comes out of Boston. <laughs> so, but I say that with love, brother. Love you. Right? But open wide your mouth and I will fill it. Check this out. God's presence. Joshua 1.9. Anybody know who Joshua was? It says this. Real powerful scripture. Joshua's going through it again. It's a very bleak moment. You know, Joshua's struggling. Joshua has hung out with Moses. He's seen these stiff-necked, complaining people. They want to go back to Egypt. He's seen all this stuff. I'm sure that Joshua, who's a military guy, would have kind of scripted this differently. Those people who complain, yo, let's get rid of them, bro. You know, let's get rid of them. You know, I'm sure that that's what he probably wrestled with. Now, Moses is gone. Joshua becomes the next guy in line. That's what happens. That's what happens when you're next in line. When someone goes, you have to slide into that position. Does everybody know that? Okay, just in case, because some of you are executive or vice presidents, you got to know if something happens to the president, you got to come in. You, you can't just cop out, okay? That's why it's so important that a president doesn't pick a vice president who's a dummy, because then you got to turn the country over to the dummy. Okay, all right. It's politics, so we, we'll, we'll skip on that. Okay, look, Joshua 1.9 says this. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. I love that. Why? Because there are moments that we're what? We're afraid. I'm not sure if I'm qualified for that job. I'm not sure where this is going. July 1st, 1987. I didn't know. I had no idea. I was crazy. I'm still crazy. I didn't know this wonderful woman would stay by me. I had no clue. I'm grateful that Jesus transformed her heart to see me in that light. I, you guys laugh. It's not funny. Because if Jesus did not transform her heart and give her a new set of eyes, come on now. You, you guys have been around me for a little bit. She's around me all the time. Okay? So again, God says, don't be afraid. Do not be discouraged. The Lord your God will be with you what? wherever you go. Think about that. Because that's God's what? That's God's presence. A lot of us think that we can go to that place and he's not there. We can lay in that bed, in that hotel, and he's not there. That we can go cop on that corner and he's not there. That we can hide under our bed, under our sheets, and he's not there. God is there. Probably grieved. Probably wondering why you choose that better than, rather than choosing him. You know why? Because we forget. We forget what he's done for us. Doing for us. And will do for us. Amen? He goes on to say in Genesis 28, 15, again, this is God's presence. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Think about that. Is there a promise that you are holding on to? Is there a promise of seeing your children? Is there a promise about your health? Is there a promise about your finances? Is there a promise about God enlarging your territory? Is there a promise about you going back to school? Is there a promise of God saving this marriage? Is there a promise that you can hold on to? 
Because at the end of the day, listen to me, the greatest thing that God has ever done is save you from that slippery slope that was leading you straight to hell. And you didn't do that on your own. Faith is a gift. People think they come to Christ because they want to. Absolutely not. That's ridiculous. It's a gift. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is not my work. No matter how eloquent I can be, unless already God is doing something in your life, all I'm trying to do is give you some words to understand what's going on so that you can say yes to Jesus. That's all I'm trying to do. I can't lead you anywhere. Especially if you're stiff-necked and stubborn and still a goat. Now, you didn't get that one. So Melissa still goats. And it's important for us to understand the characteristics of a goat. And that is for another sermon. But there are sheep and there are goats, and God lets them graze together. In here, in this pasture. See, a goat goes wherever he wants to go, whenever he wants to go, and never submitted to authority, which is a shepherd, which is a pastor. Went quiet all of a sudden. Tuck your toes in. It's okay. You're in the right place. Some of you get a vision that the grass is greener on the other side, so you decide, hey, pastor, I got to go. You know what I say? See you later. I'm not one to keep anyone. It's not for me to keep. I'm simply a shepherd of God's flock. It's his flock. He's going to do what he wants to do. My role is simply to submit to his leading so that I can care for you in a particular way. You want to reject that care, that's on you. That's another sermon. Another day. Just remember what God has done. It'll make it easier when you get an offer to go somewhere else. And I'm not just talking about church. I'm talking about your relationships. I'm talking about your jobs. I'm talking about where you're going to move. I'm talking about all these things that we take for granted where we don't talk to anybody about them. We think that we got the manual. Listen, your manual is old. It's broken. It doesn't work. The Bible is the only thing that will guide you in all your ways. So, okay. God's protection. Psalm 34, 19. The righteous person may have what? Many troubles. But the Lord delivers. Come on now. The Lord delivers him, her, from them all. You got any trouble today? I do. Remember me. Remember the trouble I took you out of. Remember the trouble I'm working out for you today and remember the trouble that I will work out for you later because trouble will come again. Trouble has a way. Like Trouble has a way of visiting us. Right? It's like a Tupperware salesperson. You know, like they just... Some of you understand, right? They just knock on your door. You got to buy this, you got to buy this, you got to buy this. You know? That's what he's saying. He says, I will deliver them. Now, God's promise. Look what he promises. You know the scripture. Jeremiah 29, 11. What does it say? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. This is a declaration. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Listen, God does not sit up on his throne looking to zap you. Like, like you're, not, you know, you know, you're not on that you know, radar where he wants to get you today. I, I know you felt that way sometimes. I mean, maybe you're feeling that way today where you're saying, man, God, can you ease up a little bit? I love that conversation. 
Because God is saying, okay, I'll ease up when you ease up. What do you mean? He says, well, I don't want that you should perish. Now, you see, you guys are going to get this later. I'll give you my notes. Don't worry about it. You catch up later. But, but the point is just that, right? I guess God let up just a little bit. I said, well, when you let up, I'll let up. When you start chasing those idols, then I'll let up. When you start going in the direction that I want you to go, by the way, you don't know that that ends bad. You don't know that there's a cliff, that there's an edge, that there's an end to that. And I didn't, I didn't, listen, my desire is not to harm you, but to prosper you, to give you a future, a hope, and a, I want to give you something that you can look back to and say, man, God really showed up. That's your memorial. That's your memory. That's your remember me. Amen? It's, God is awesome. He really is awesome in that respect. That, that he would say that. That he would say things like, don't be afraid. Like he would say things like, I'm going to be with you wherever you go. That he would say things, man, I, I, I don't want you to get hurt. I don't want you to go that way. But I think that a lot of times we forget the work of God in our lives. And I say this all the time. Listen to me. I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know how bleak, how dark your moments are. I don't know how broke you are. And I, I don't know. But I do know this. If Christ is in your life, you are better off today than you've ever been in your life. And I want you to resist the temptation to want to revert back to those days where you thought you had it going on. Those moments where you were just worn out and exhausted of trying to be better and get it right, and trying to please someone that was just relentlessly unpleasing, and just being able to remember him. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29, it says this, Come to me, all you who are weary, and burden. Let's just stop for a moment, right? Anybody feeling weary? Like, like anybody feeling like, man, why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep showing up to church? Why, why do I keep reading God's word? That's good for Pastor Gus. He seems like a super Christian. I am not. You are mistaken and misinformed. I just remember the mess that I was in in 89, 88, 86, 75, 74. That's right. That's how old I am. Okay? Kids in school call me grandpa, which is not cool. I'm sure they mean it in a nice way. But that's how far back it goes, how bad it was until 1990, where God met me. 
Amen? So if you're weary and you're burdened, it says, say this. It says, come to me. In other words, don't go anywhere else. Come to me. It says, and I will give you rest. Take that in for a moment. What does that rest look like? You can kick up. In my house, I got this, you know, my wife is so gracious that she has bought me a nice little chair and, you know, and, and, and you know, a little thing where I can put my feet on, you know, and, and, and no one's supposed to sit on it. <laughs> Some people do, fortunately. But <laughs> I, uh, when I rest, I rest in that. I get home from a long day, I'm able to plop down and pick up my feet and just look at my toes, wiggle. I'm like, wow, this feels good. And God is saying, that's what I want to create with you. You're weary and you're burdened, I want to give you rest. It says this, because what happens is we take on this, this, this yoke. We take on this, this responsibility that doesn't belong to you. We're like that. We're people who like to fix things. Right? We read a book and we think that we can fix people. You just can't. God is the one that does that. So we take on these things. We take on, you know, offenses that don't even belong to us. Like you're upset because he said that to her and treated this that way. That's got nothing to do with you. Mind your business. Mind your business. You can give some advice. You can give some suggestions. You know, my mom was really wise, and, you know, again, you know, my mom is not a highly spiritual person, especially back then, um, even now, you know. Um, she loves her bingo and stuff like that, but there's something about a mom's wisdom. She told me not to hang out with those people. She told me. Like, she could sense it, you know. So it, I guess it's a mother's intuition, you know, and, and she says it. Don't hang out with those people. And God is like that. You know, we take on certain things that we're not supposed to take on. He says this in verse 20. He says, take my yoke upon you and what? Learn from me. Rather than learning from what the world is trying to expose you to. For I am gentle. I love that. I love that part. That whole gentle part. And humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Not your feet. Not your head. Not the shoulder that's been bothering you. But your soul. Because when a person is troubled in their soul, you can see it. You can sense it. They can be looking for their keys or their glasses, and it's right there. And they'll say, what'd you do with my glasses? What'd you do with my keys? And you'll be like all over the place, and they say, is that what you're looking for? When we're troubled in our souls, we don't rest. We're constantly going from thing to thing, doing things. Proverbs 133 says this, but whoever listens to me, will live in safety and be at ease without fear or harm. Now, I don't know about you, but I underlined, highlighted, and circled that word, listens to me. My sheep know my voice. And when he calls, they perk up and they run to him. And he treats them gentle. Whatever's going on with their fleece, he kind of cleans them up. He kind of leaves them, you know, besides still water. He, he gives them what they need. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up.
Whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. God doesn't want anyone to perish. doesn't want you to be hurt. He does take our hurts and does something with them because he's about restoring and rebuilding and transforming and sometimes the hurts in our lives are necessary to get us to look to him, to acknowledge him. I was told not to go there, not to do that, not to hang out with those people. And God still managed somehow to meet me there because his presence is always there. There's an awareness that has to happen for us, though, in those moments where we find ourselves And that awareness is, remember me, God says. Our memorial is God himself. That's our memorial. We honor those men and women that served this country fearlessly with great sacrifice, defending the freedoms that they and we enjoy and believe. Our memorial is God himself to us. He he did this at the cross. At the cross, he did this in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. So the cross is not a a fancy piece of jewelry that we wear. It's a memorial. The greatest sacrifice that has ever been given for you and me. Now, I already told you earlier, you don't got to get good to get with God. That's the beauty of this, isn't it? That you got to get with God and then you get good. And I don't mean good to the point where you make the assumption that you have arrived, because none of us have. We're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. He has set a standard that we continue to strive for. And I'm grateful for that because there is an inclination of people that when they get to a certain point, they begin to look down at others. Shame on you. The greatest memorial is God himself. So if you're in this room and, and you don't know Jesus Christ, If you've been invited to this place, maybe, you know, this is different. You're saying, wow, you know, I didn't think church was like this. I can't take you somewhere you don't want to go. I just can't. But I got to tell you something, that there'll be hurt and pain and difficult moments that will take you to that place. God wants to spare you from those moments. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, listen, pains are coming. You think you're hurting today, there's more hurt. You think troubles are in your life today, more troubles are coming. 
But in Christ, we can weather them all. Because he's the one that calms the storm. Tells it to be still. Tells it to cease. And he'll give you a peace. You can kick up your feet. And you can say thank you, Lord. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I want you to be able to believe and receive that. I'm going to ask the team to lead us in a song. The words will be on the screen. This is a great moment for you to exercise your vocal cords. You know why it's a good time? Because it'll be in a room with a lot of people and we won't have to hear you. But if we can come together, God will come into this room and you'll hear one sound. One people in one accord, lifting their voices and their hearts to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the greatest memorial that we've been ever given is found in Jesus Christ. So let's stand to our feet, amen? Takes all.